He's back. Ah, oh, this is what the East Coast time zone feels like. This is what it's like to record at night. We <laughs> hey, well, welcome back. Not recording at what, seven in the morning for you? Hey, 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 it was nine. I had toast in my system. It was fine. I and don't think I, come- I ever actually knew what time it was. I generally just added an hour onto, e- well, 13 hours, but I just added an Chris hour. Was like, it's like here, but the opposites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So uh, if my voice comes in a little echoey, it's because I'm recording in like my kitchen nook because I don't have anywhere else to record. So if anyone's you're, upset you're- about that, my- sorry, that's not, not getting fixed for a while. Your, your voice is echoing off of the empty walls and cockroaches. Yeah, hey, yeah, we had a bit of a pest problem, but a little chemical warfare never hurt nobody. Well, okay, never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, 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 segue, segue. All right, so since I'm back, I think we had a request for this one a while ago, didn't we? Uh, I think so. I believe we did. Yeah, we had a request for the while. Again, we do have a list. It is a large, unfocused list that is written with crayon and spit. But like, yeah, it's it's there. It's like the scene in Always Sunny when he's got all the wires, and the <laughs> pictures. Except it's our own conspiracy. Today, I think it's uh, biomes, which is honestly, thank you guests for knowing what a biome is. So that's it's actually a really good idea for an episode. So, for those who don't know, today we are going to be focusing on biomes, what a biome is, how they relate to the Pokemon world, and just some, you know, not the minor critiques on how they could be improved. Just a little, little here and there. Hoenn. Well, I guess since I'm Hoenn, I'll do it. Cue the music! Right, so did you guys hear about the the new study in China that um it looks like that uh geese may have now been like the first domesticated bird like before chickens? No, I did not. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. My experience with geese has been don't look them in the eye, don't look them in the eye. Oh god, one is coming. Just run away. Like why would anyone what? I I actually had to herd geese. Quick side note, I had to herd geese on a uh, a film shoot uh, the other day because I was doing an interview and they were just standing five feet away from us, literally honking at us. And I had to be like, come on, go away. It was not my proudest moment. I want that video <laughs> for posterity. Uh, Don, yes, tell us about these domestic geese. All right, so some researchers um found 232 goose bones at this dig site in uh, Tianlaoshan. I've for sure pronounced that wrong i'm sorry uh in east china um an area that had been a settlement of like stone age hunter gatherers and farmers like 7,000 to 5,500 years ago um and they radiocarbon dated the bones some of like the bird bones there and the term the bones came from like domesticated fowl like the same as like the modern domesticated goose um and they found bones of various ages from so from like too young to fly to like full adults and they think that indicates like local breeding and various life cycle stages. And it's like an area in China that where geese haven't ever been recorded being native there, non-domesticated. So they don't think it's like a wild goose thing. It wasn't. A, it's not a wild goose chase. Boo! <laughs> Boo! I come all the way back to the East Coast for this crap. This is what happens when you leave me with Don for a year. Yeah, <laughs> two years. And yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm sorry. They found butchering and manufacturing marks like could be found on the goose bones. So they know it wasn't like just a spot where like birds would go and die. 
So they literally checked all the boxes. I love that, that they literally had to, okay, but what if they were native? No. Well, what if they were this? No. What if they were this? No. Like, I love that about the experiment because that's kind of what it is. Like, it's not just in science. It's not like, ha, I think this and that's it. Like, no, you have to run it through. Well, it could also be this, like over and over and over again. That must have been a lot of hard work. So I appreciate them going through all that. When did they make the, the graveyard discovery? This was pretty recent. So the article I found was from uh, March 25th. I wasn't sure if they, if they like found the graveyard like 10 years ago or something. and They, they may have. I think it sounded like the name of the dig site. I think it may the site might have been around and just more and more to it. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact, according to this article, the farming in like the in like uh, that region of China, I guess, accounts for about 90 percent of the world's goose population. I would I'm assuming domesticated geese. Wow. I don't know if anything oh, that includes wild geese, but that's a lot. I guess there's a lot of goose farming out that way. We don't we don't have a goose yet, Pokemon, do we? No. Wow. Not really. No, huh. we don't. Well you look at that. We don't Just have like a goose. I guess swan is like the yet. closest thing. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was coming up with. I kinda want yeah, now we know what Pokemon we want now. We need a Chinese goose. There's a lot of really cool geese, actually. Speaking of giant terrifying birds i think there's something in the notes about a moltres in the notes what's up with that yeah pokemon news so we have the third and final of the uh, international challenge series that was running i guess it started february but this one is the registration date is open so it started march 26th and the registration closes april 9th with the battle dates being the 10th through the 12th but all you have to do is re- pre-register and then do three battles and you'll get yourself a shiny Galarian Moltres. Huh. All right. So just I don't even have to fight. I just have to show up. Well, you have to fight three battles. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. I'm just going to be that guy who brings literally three dittos. It's like, you didn't bring a team. No. You can't bring more, uh, more than one <laughs> right, of the same Pokemon. Just no bring fun. all like level ones or something. Well, you can. Yeah, you it guys- ages them up to 50, but. Literally just build, like, a Kanto team of, like, the first six Pokemon you can find. Like, I found this chart, like, literally pretend to be, like, some kid who just got Pokemon. Like, hi, I just caught these. Can can I fight with them? And then just get slaughtered. Just make it all, make it, get a Golurk, get a Golet, and then just only use them. You Throw them out there together. Yeah, just like there. Don't, don't touch, and just keep having Wide Guard. Golurk, I think Golurk can learn Wide Guard, right? I, I hope think so. it can. Yeah, just I don't, don't know touch me. legal. Ah, oh, dang it! I, every team I want to build just not works. Oh, that's sad. Oh well, we'll work on it later. So that's it. Just make sure you registered before the night before the end of the ninth, and uh, and do your battles, and you'll get the final shiny Galar Canto bird. All right. Um, anything Pokemon Goey? Um, yes. I'll, the the quick things for Pokemon Go. They're actually doing quite a bit of events throughout april that are probably going to pop up which we don't have a lot of info on them yet but the uh community day for april is going to be stuffle uh it'll be stuffle's first appearance in the game too uh, i forget stuffle exists yeah beware is one of my favorite alolan designs i know it's not like it, it that fluffy ability and just its experience in the anime just made it like yes i love this horrifying red panda I, it, it's learning Drain Punch, which is the first time Drain Punch is going to be in Pokemon Go. Is it going to have a healing effect? It is going to be a defensive buff. So it, it it's Metacham and... Well, basically a lot of the fighters have Power Up Punch, which is a single stage... Uh, oh, I mean, same as the game. Single stage attack boost 
from what I can remember, there's only one defensive buffing move in Pogo right now, and that's Skull Bash on mostly used by Lapras. But basically, it's one. It's going to be one of the cheapest moves because it's only going to be it's going to be a 20 damage and like 40 energy or something. But it's going to be a clone of Power Up Punch, just it buffs your defense, not your uh, buffs your defense, not your attack. I don't know how relevant it's going to be, just because. By the time you get your defense to that point, I'm not sure how much health you're going to have left to defend. It doesn't seem like that's strategically viable. I loved Drain Punch just for the fact that a fighting type could get its health back in the major game. Conkelder with Drain Punch is just so much fun. Well, I just always like, I'm, I'm, I'm pairing it up against other Metamons right now. So if it's in the Great League, it's going to come up fighter-wise against Metacham. And they're just going to keep offsetting with Power Up Punch and... Drain Punch, but the problem is is that Beware is normal typing, so it's just going to be taking super effective, whereas Metacham resists. Okay. It, it, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But um, there's that, and then there's also, they're doing another throwback day with Mudkip on the 10th. Well, you can't go wrong with Mudkip. So go get your shiny Mudkip if you missed it Mudkip's the last classic. community day. Uh, shiny Mudkip, though, I know, I don't. It's purple, boy. I don't care for the pink purple water types. Not it doesn't. It's not a me thing. But you can it's, run it with Kyogre and the and Palkia, and you have like triple water fashion and Quillfish. I mean, yeah, the thing that's literally what Pokemon been doing for like twenty some odd years. Oh, it's a water type. Make it a pink shiny. It's like it's really weird. I, there's nothing wrong with pink, but it's just odd. Isn't there a thing with like a lot of the fire types go green? I mean, here and there. Why can't they all be like Clawitzer? Clawitzer's whole thing of like turning red that's one of my favorite chinese do that go create well, the og it. chinese i think were just randomized palette swaps and some yeah. of them just lucked into being sick with it yeah so just adjusted in scarlet and violet i don't see the big deal it'd be kind of awesome yeah, they can make gengar and garchomp not terrible oh my god those are the worst wasn't charizard not originally the the, the black charizard it was green yeah they that was the right choice yeah black charizard is terrifying and i love it very much yeah don i think you put in here uh regional results yeah so we had our first two live event regionals back from um back for the vgc season so we had uh salt lake city utah the weekend of the 19th through the 20th in march um and we kind of really saw the rise of sun of the top eight i mean zashin zat a whole bunch of zashins as like you would expect right now, because it's ridiculously good. Um, but the winning team, Zosh and Groudon, Incineroar, Gastrodon, Charizard, and Grimmsnarl showed up another time in that top cut, and that same team won, piloted by a different player though, that same team won the Liverpool Regionals the week after. So what's it, how does it work? It's just sun and big number, or is there something trickier to it? Yeah, so if you kind of just look at how the team's like put together, it just really complements stuff really well. The Charizard has been either Charty Berry. We've seen some of that, so it can resist like the random rock coverage move that comes its way. Or it can be um, Life Orb for maximum damage with the Groudon. And the Groudon's been Assault Vested, which makes it a, that like Assault Vest plus Sun plus you know potential support from Grimmsnarl and Gastrodon means that like it really neutralizes Kyogre. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're. I see what they're going at. Nope. And I, and I I remember seeing a lot of stuff saying that like the big thing was going to be like Kyogre and Palkia and Zacian. Yeah, um, people did realize that Solar Power Charizard's like dumb, 
especially partnered with the Groudon, like switched in properly and stuff. And if you go the Life Orb route, it just out it, the damage output is so insane. Yeah, like Life Orb plus Solar Power in Sun, like you can really blitz through a lot of stuff. I remember running that earlier, like when first Sword and Shield first came out. That was just a lot of fun of just hi, here's death. Don, you were using solar power Charizard in the Players Cup team, but that was without before restricted, though, and you were having Whimsicott Sunny Day, right? Whimsicott and Torkoal were on that team, oh, yeah. right, yeah, okay. And then Gastrodon is just disruptive Gastrodon. It makes Kyogre less of a threat. It can yawn things. Grimmsnarl offers the terribleness that is Thunder Wave, and then, you know, it can have Screams, it can have Spirit Break, it can have Sucker Punch. You kind of... Because we've seen multiple variants like of moves and items on these six, and like we've seen several iterations of the team with different like specific item picks. Like since some Charizards have Charty, oh, we've seen a lot more Charizards running Ancient Power now to uh, defeat other non-Charty Charizards. I mean, honestly, I just think it's cool that Charizard's back in the meta again. Oh I, yeah, I... he's back. I was saying, and then in second place we had um. Uh, the other like pretty dominant archetype, archetype that some people like to call Swordfish, it's the Zosh and Kyogre. I think both had one that was had the one from Liverpool actually had Shedinja on it, which is kind of exciting. And then um, typically they'll have something like Kartana with a Speed Control Mon like Whimsicott or Tornadus. Aaron Trailer from the second place at Salt Lake City had Incineroar, Whimsicott, Indeedee, and Kartana. I think it was pretty nice, and they had the um. A lot of Psychic Seed and DDs showed up as well in, in across the top eights. Well, hopefully we see we see some of these people. Like, I, ho- I kind of like to see change-ups as things go on with the league, but I- I'm glad that some people are able to get out and start competition again, honestly. I mean, I know Florida is being left out. Yeah, well, Atlantis. I mean, there's. I'm going to try to go to – I think I'm going to try to go to a couple later. Well, I think that covers – that was a lot of news. Honestly, I didn't think we'd have that much. It's good to have a lot of news when you come back, but let's just go ahead and get right to the topic. As we know, humans as a species love to categorize. It's how we understand the world. And biomes are just names we give to large areas. Biomes are typically large areas characterized by the vegetation, the soil, the climate, the wildlife all what makes up that area. The impacts of the environment can have influences on what is able to exist and survive in that area. But Lucas, there can be quite a few variable amount of biomes, depending on who you're asking, correct? Yeah. Again, if you look up number of biomes on Google, you are going to find people who say, what are the six biomes? What are the eight biomes? To be honest, like you said, we like categorizing things, but everyone categorizes things a little bit differently. If you want a better idea of what a biome is, like a visual one, uh, think of it like a couple of rings. And the biggest ring is biome. Next smallest is environment. Next smallest is range. Next smallest is habitat. So the biome being the big overall thing, there can be multiple environments inside of that. So people debate it here and there. Uh, For me, I like to say that there are over 14 because they forget to include some of the ocean biomes in that list. They always, always consider the land. And to be honest, the world is only 30% land. We got a lot more ocean than anything. Hashtag Team Aqua did nothing wrong. Team Aqua did nothing wrong, but man, their style fresh. Oh, I love them so much. They're so stupid. I think you had a whole episode on what Team Aqua did do wrong, Lucas. Yeah, I did. And it was wonderful, but I still love them. I lo- did you see how they tricked out that submarine? I mean, we'll get to the submarine later this episode, but they tricked that sucker out. 
Anywho, uh, I'm going to go over some of the more common ones that people know and then talk a bit more about the ocean one, and we'll just walk from there. So one of the most famous biomes on the planet is the tropical rainforest biome. Uh, it is categorized by hot and wet weather year-round, has super poor soil due to all the plants sucking it out every second, and lots of tall plants, lots of tall trees, lots of climbing plants. There are rainforests all over the planet. The Amazon just gets the biggest credibility because it is the uh, biggest. Uh, there are plenty of animals. The biodiversity in this area is ridiculously high. Um, lots of monkeys, tropical birds, sloths, capybaras, jaguars, etc., etc. There's lots and lots of things that live there. It's easier to list the things that don't live there than to list the things that do live there. It's pretty wild. But well, yeah, and you also listed you listed uh, animals, but like the the plant life too is obscene. Yeah, it's obscene just how greedy the plant life is. Like that, it is a cutthroat world in the Amazon rainforest and any rainforest because there's so little nutrients because all these plants are sucking it up as much as possible. Like they need all of it, and so so many plants thrive on climbing up other plants or borrowing stealing sunlight from others that's why the canopy is so thick everything is fighting to stay alive it's crazy how violent the plant world can be in the amazon now the next one though next one actually most people don't think about the, the tropical dry forest now this one warm year round just like the tropical rainforest but it does have a wet season and a dry season and excellent soil because it has a mix of different weather systems a mix of different plant life uh, the most famous is the one in central India. So when you think of the forest that tigers would live in, when you think about the giant Asian rhinos, that's what their environment is. It's a little bit different from the rainforest in that it's not going to be raining all the time. There's going to be times where water is going to be harder to come by. But this is going to be your typical forest for these animals. Uh, the next one, one where people are really familiar with is the tropical savanna. That is, um, well, honestly, just think the African savanna, warm temperature, seasonal rain, compacted soil, and uh, frequent lightning strikes. I didn't realize that that was actually a thing for this biome until I did the research. That's how all those fires. Yeah, the lightning strikes and sets everything ablaze. Uh, lots of grasses, few trees. The reason it has very few trees is because of the compacted soil makes it difficult for the roots to really set in, but also... All the large animals that live there keep stepping down on everything, so it makes it really hard for some plants to make their way up. Uh, if you need to think of animals that live on a savanna, elephants, rhinos, lions, zebras, antelopes, etc., etc. These are the animals that make their home there, but also lots of species of grasses, too. Uh, next one, really famous one. Everyone knows what a desert is. We're going to talk about what a desert is really quickly. Low precipitation, so very little to no rain. Variable temperatures, minimal uh, mineral-rich soil, but not a lot of organic material in there. Uh, it should be noted that the desert does not have to be hot. It does not have to be hot. In fact, I think that like the desert, the Death Valley can drop below freezing at night just because there's nothing to hold on to the sun's energy. Oh, the Gobi gets like crazy cold as well. Oh yeah. The Do you know what the largest desert in the world is? Uh, Antarctica. Antarctica. It's Antarctica. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that is not hot. Yeah, it's not. It's cold. Again, it's a desert. Is yeah, not the snow is just kind of there. It doesn't like they don't get more if it's just there. <laughs> yeah, it's just stays. This is an environment that very few things can grow in. 
Very few things There's can live the, there. Yes, but you have to watch out for the thing. The thing. Especially. Yeah, exactly. There are predators, and lots of predators make the desert their home. Talk about the, the best movie ever, but or best horror movie. <laughs> yeah, he said we're talking aliens love Antarctica. Yeah, aliens. They do. Love they love to get frozen in Antarctica. It's like thirty alien movies. Wasn't Alien versus Predator the same? I think it was. I think it was definitely a cold space. Yes. Note it was self, probably Antarctica. Alien versus aliens prefer a cold desert climate. Note to self. But but not They're the just, signs aliens because that's frozen water and they hate water. Well, I guess maybe frozen's better. So if they just wear some shoes, they'll be fine. Wait, we're talking about aliens? Hey, there you are. We very are very about- loosely associated with deserts, aka Antarctica. So the next one I wanted to talk about are the temperate forests. So if you're living in the United States or Canada on the East Coast, these are pretty familiar to you. Uh, cold to moderate winters, warm summers, year-round precipitation, and excellent soil. They are very filled with life, although the diversity isn't as high as something like a rainforest. Plenty of deer, plenty of bears, uh, mountain lions, that sort of thing. Plenty of plant life that can survive rotating seasons. That's what's really important for this area. You need to have something like an oak tree that can survive a light snowfall, but that also can survive a burning hot summer. You have to be very, very adaptable to different climate changes as opposed to a a desert-dwelling animal who just has to deal with one extreme in the morning, one extreme at night, and just go from there. But it is the most common. It's one of the most common ones that we'll deal with. Uh, The boreal forest... That's what's really cool to me because these are like, when you think of the Canadian wilderness, this is what you're getting. The long winters, short summers, lots of humidity, and kind of terrible soil just because of the temperature. And honestly, it's it's beautiful. I, I want to go visit Alaska, even though it's freezing, just because of how beautiful those forests are. Lots of deciduous trees, lots of shrubs and berries. Oh, Decidueyes. Decidueyes, just, <laughs> just literally. They, oh. they like tropical. They do not like the... They, it's too cold. too cold. That's why it's a ghost. <laughs> but yeah, beavers, weasels, moose, timber wolf. Sneezlers. What is Bergman's principle? Someone wrote in my notes Bergman's principle. So I just like to talk about Bergman's principle whenever I have an... <laughs> Literally just in my notes. Bergman's principle because I just like it. What is Bergman's principle? Okay, so I've talked about it before. Do, you, do, you, either, do the other two remember what it is? No, not not a clue at all. All right, so Bergman's principle is basically, and you kind of see it in the interchange between the temperate and like the boreal forest. Okay. Uh, Bergman's principle is generally that with mammals, the same species, the farther you are from the equator, the larger they get. And the closer you are to the equator, the smaller they get. And that's typically true for mammals. Like if you look at like a deer from Florida and look at a deer in like Alberta, Canada, it's like a different animal. But it's the same animal. And the same holds true from like a moose in like the lower 48 and the moose in Alaska. So you have the the interchange between like temperate and boreal. Like the same animals are almost always larger. Hmm. Is, is that be, is the theory because they it's colder and they have to have like more fat? Yeah, less surface area to body race. Like a bigger animal has like um, less surface area to internal body ratio, right? So then gotcha. they can serve heat better. That's cool to know. I need to remember that. I don't know how well the Bergman's principle is going to help these guys out, but from what you just told me pretty well, uh, we got to talk about the tundras. We've mentioned them before. Um, Strong winds, low precipitation, short, soggy summers, and really poor soil and permafrost. Like these places, if you are not specialized for it, it sucks. 
it's bad. This is like North Alaska and Siberia. The only plants you're going to find are moss and lichen. There's barely anything that can make it work here. The only big animal... What do you got against moss? I mean, if there's only moss is the problem. I like moss when it works in tandem with other plants. But like, I hear Pete's a good guy. Boo. Ah, I come all the way to the East Coast for this. (laughs) In any case, (laughs) caribou are the biggest animals that live out there, but you will get the occasional wolf that wanders onto the tundra. Lots of foxes, lemmings. Uh, Can we address the lemming myth? I'm sorry. It's really dumb. I hate it. Now is the time. Yeah. They don't jump off cliffs. They don't do that. You know about the video about them being going off the cliffs? I mean, there was so. I mean, when you were a kid, you see all the cartoons and stuff all the time, and no one actually corrects you as an adult. So. And the whole myth stemmed from the fact that lemmings have like a very massive, like, so they they breed under the snow, or like they don't hibernate, I guess. So like they have like big colonies, and if snow melts and washes like lots of them in the spring when they have a population explosion, and there's like tons of lemmings with the snow melt, a lot get washed in the streams and then drown. And people would see all the dead lemmings and be like, wow, there's so many lemmings that they know that some of them have to die, so they're killing themselves. Uh, or that they were just all dumb and they just all followed each other into the water. Which I don't know how smart lemmings are, but they're not like that stupid for sure. No. So what the summation of this this is that if you believed it, you were the lemming the whole time. Yes, or were the lemmings the friends we made <laughs> the along the way? The lemmings are the friends we made along the way. In any case... Uh, with the land, again, there are more biomes we could have covered. We There are plenty of grasslands I didn't get to cover, but I wanted to kind of jump into the ocean because the ocean has a ton of different zones that have so much cool stuff. You have the intertidal can you, can you do like it? Can you do it like the Fighting Nemo song? I knew you were going to I knew someone I was going to say not that. I listened to that song in so long. Wait, what? Long. I have Oh, not. I thought you were going to say ever. I haven't listened to it in so long. I've been out of the game. I'm getting back into it next week, but I've been out of the game for so long. Ugh. But in any case, um, I'll just go over some of the regions because I'm not Mr. Ray. Mr. Ray is the man I wish I was. Ugh. Just <laughs> He's the educator we all aspire to be. Eagle rays are cool too. Lucas, you have a, no one knows you at the place yet, so you could just call yourself Mr. Ray and oh, assume no, that personality. Lucas, the guy with the Magikarp <laughs> tattoo. Lucas cool Ray. Yeah, um, Lucas Ray. Then you can still be Mr. Ray. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a blues singer. Listen to the aquatic teachings of Lucas. Lucas Ray. Ray. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I know what this is. Lucas Ray is a Savannah's uh, R and B radio announcer. Oh, you're listening. To- <laughs> I guess DJ. DJing it up. Oh God. <laughs> Lucas Ray in the morning or something. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. okay. Anyway, so we're talking about the zones. Uh, The intertidal zone is awesome. Intertidal zone is where a large portion of life is found. Well, isn't like most of the ocean life? You are correct. Yeah, it is about 70 to 80% is about 30 miles from shore. And that's about like in that 30 miles, less even, that's where you're going to find most marine life. And those that biome is Which is frustrating because that's where all the pollution goes. Hey, it is what it is, and that and the more we know, the more you can fight it. But you also have to remember with the ocean, you also have to consider depth. You have to consider just how deep everything can go because you have also the photic zone. And the photic zone is usually between the surface of the water and down 200 meters. After that, you get into the twilight area, and that twilight zone, not the show. Oh, and there's vampires there, right? Them underwater vampires. 
Shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I knew it was coming. But this is where you're going to get that like intermittent darkness. But then eventually you'll reach an area where there's just no light. The aphotic zone encompasses that twilight and this no light zone. The deeper you go, the harder it is to survive. It is one of the most volatile and terrifying places in the world is down below in the ocean because that pressure can crush just about anything. There are volcanic vents that stand as tall as skyscrapers spewing out hot sulfuric gas and death that somehow life has just learned to take in stride and consume from. It is one of two worms, two worms and crabs and all kinds of weirdness live down there. But in any case, again, there's so many environments and biomes to talk about, but Pokemon has put one or two in their games. Wait, they put in one or two? They put in a couple of biomes, and I, I could make some adjustments. So, what? yes, we've, we've, we've actually talked about this a, a little bit, Lucas, but the uh, one aspect for biomes uh, is the transition zones that happen between them. It doesn't just, uh, it, it can be sort of a harsh transition, but typically it doesn't go like desert forest. Yeah, that's, uh, it's weird. Like, There's usually welcome. something that goes in between or, or, you know, what's called like an, I think it's pronounced a, an ecotone. Yes. You brought up marshlands. Why don't you tell like how marshlands also serve in that sort of function too? Yeah. The marshes are a great way that kind of keep apart that, that freshwater area and then slowly lead off into the saltwater region. Uh, some of the most famous wetlands where I grew up were the Everglades and they provide a very rich ecosystem. And also it allows for a lot of protection from things like flooding because there's lots of plant life and other things that can stop it from really getting out of hand. It also purifies some water. It's an amazing ecosystem, but it is also one that is quickly being wiped out all over the world because to be honest, it's terrible to build on. No one wants to build in a swamp or a peat ma or a mire or a bog, terrible building space. I mean, no one wants to build on it. And then after they remove it and they just get flooding all the time, they're like, oh, oops. Yeah. Japan saw that, America's seeing that, like the UK is seeing that. Basically, you've removed what you considered ugly, and now you're losing a lot of not just water, but also soil quality goes down as well. And that's money that you're just burning well, away. And not only that, like 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 my biggest thing is that like like you know, like the flood protections is a huge aspect there. <laughs> like removing the area's ability to hold water with while climate change is happening is really bad yeah it's not not it's it's not great it's not great in that same vein too like another another one that people might hear about is mangroves and those also kind of serve as a buffer for like tidal surges and uh extreme weather that comes through and those not being there means that the mainland of the islands are getting hit with a lot more a lot more than they were when there was a mangrove there and that's not even touching on like the nursery habitat yeah. they provide for yeah for fish and so much forth. Barracudas yeah. and Goliath groupers make their homes as babies in the mangroves. Any of these sport fishermen out there who are like, yo, I love sport fishing. You want to protect those mangroves because they got to come from somewhere. They don't stand out in the middle of the ocean. Oh, we are all very pro mangrove. In Pokemon, it's even funnier because you don't even have like a transition where it pops from one to the other. You literally go through a building with a security guard from like one area. How do you do? Welcome from the forest. You walk out and it's a I beach. am thirsty. Here's some tea. Ruby, uh, Ruby and Sapphire, like you literally transition. You walk uh, through the forest 
and into the desert. Yeah, that. Was... And then if you go, if you go, if you go left, you walk from the forest into the volcano, into the mountains. You go for the mountain, desert, or like past. Well, and that makes sense a little bit too, though. Deserts often are on the other sides of mountains, right? I mean, they can be. But yeah, the range yeah, and on the other, but on the other side of that Hoenn Mountain is just another mountain. So it's like, well, this is pointless and annoying. No, I'm trying to think of the map here because that big volcano is there. And the desert, there's no mountains in between the volcano and the desert. Yeah, it's again, it's it's a game, but we are going to hyperanalyze the crap out of it. Well, and I get I get why it's diverse though. Like like why they're at least trying to make sure every game has every environment, because you want to be able to have all the different types of Pokemon. Yeah. Of course. Uh, unless you're Sinnoh and you want fire. Yeah, just just yeah. Well, yeah, I was gonna say unless <laughs> No fire. Sinnoh's a very dry climate, no fire types. Back to back to the, the topic on hand. What's cool about these transition zones is you have wildlife that can exist on either end of the spectrum that can sort of cross over between them. And that doesn't uh that made me think of the wild area, especially in Galler, because that does not exist. Because it's like you take two steps to the right and you're in a sandstorm and there's a rock and rolla, but you take two steps to the left and it disappears and you're finding Araquinids under a bridge it's pretty funny i would love to see that interaction of the iraquitid like raving at the rock and rolla just like but they try to come close to each other and they just keep getting hurt i hope that with the the way that uh gen 9 is designed that that is a little bit smoother so it's not just like there's a very clear line where like these certain pokemon exist that's what i hope they're they're building towards with i feel like it was better in um in arceus uh with with how the pokemon kind of filled out the world yeah, um, everyone know. Yeah, no, that was brilliant. I will say the best representation of an environment has to go to Pokemon Snap. Like that's like everyone out of the way. Yeah, Pokemon Snap did it best. I love Pokemon Snap so much. We'll give some love to New Pokemon Snap in a minute, Lucas. New Pokemon Snap did it right. Heck yeah, let's go. I want some DLC for it so much, actually. <laughs> oh, it's so uh, I honestly like that's my ASMR. That is literally just me listening to the sound of Pokemon popping out of like behind coral or whatnot. Ugh. So do we have any like Chris, do you have any specific ones you have to talk about? I know I have some I want to talk about, but are there any biomes you kind of like in this game? I, I got a couple. So first, we do, want to, we do need to give a shout out to the Crown Tundra. Now, we've talked about it in our episode, Tundra's a Fun. If you want, we won't repeat the info from that one. But remember, the, the summation of that is the Crown Tundra is not a tundra. It's a taiga because tundras, as Lucas noted, don't, have, don't really have trees because of permafrost and where the roots can grow. And there's lots of trees in the crown tundra. So it should be the, the crown taiga is the takeaway from that. But we're going to go back to the the original uh, Pokemon biome, which is Viridian Forest. Viridian City. Everyone's everyone's first first forest in, in the game. The first time I played, I remember playing that as a kid. I thought it was like the craziest maze. It was, it, yeah, I got lost too when I first. And then I found the Pikachu and it got away. And I was, I spent like so much time in there. <laughs> Yo, come back, my friend. I just want come this back. Pikachu, even though it's not going to be useful. I want to be Ash. I want to be Ash. We were all there as kids. We get it. So Viridian Forest to me speaks to what Lucas talked about earlier as temperate forests. And what do we know about it from various games? It's very dense forest that has very little light in some areas and it has has a very thick 
and dense canopy that lets the bugs roam around wild. So in that forest, you have all the bug catchers and then all the bug Pokemon and all the birds. What I was thinking about though is what's missing in that because forests don't have just bugs and birds. Uh, and it's weird that they don't have those sort of clawed animals that would be climbing all those luxurious trees that we think of when we think of the forest, all the oak trees that Lucas That's because mentioned. the, the Nidorans and the Mankeys are to the um, to the west of Viridian City. There's the Pikachus in the forest. Yeah, They're there you like go. little clawed critters. That's, I, I was thinking the Pikachus are there to make sure that the Pidgeys don't exterminate the bug population. Honestly, I was just imagining like some poor Rattata, like, boy, I wonder why none of my fellow countrymen and my fellow friends go in here and just a Weedle pokes him and then drags him into the bushes like in three seconds, like poison, come here. <laughs> like, ah! like it's, it's that like if you remember the first Madagascar movie, the, the one musical montage of everything being eaten and killed. That's yes. literally how I imagine it. Like every yeah. Rattata or tries to go in there just gets horribly consumed by bugs. And honestly, I would not go into that forest if I saw that. I would like immediately turn around, go home, take off my running shoes and just quit. I will wait till I'm an adult. I will stay well, in this like, small town. No, <laughs> I am going back for the fire type. <laughs> yes, please give me Charmander. Thank you. I will burn this forest to the ground. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, there's a couple Pokemon that did not exist, but would fit into this biome. The one that popped up instantly in my head is um, CDOT, because acorns, oak trees, that just kind of went, you know, hand in hand. But uh, with the um, lack of light that is described in this forest, I also think that there would be a ton of mushroom growth. Uh, they don't need as much sunlight as the plants that exist uh, within the forest. So... That, there wasn't that many options Pokemon-wise back in the day, but I feel like if they were to come back alive, Radiant Forest would be way more than just... Yeah, I'm surprised Paris does. I mean, it makes sense that it shows up in the cave well enough as well. Yeah, but, but you're, you know, you're right. Like, Paris, Paris could fit in perfectly fine in the Viridian Forest. They're just afraid of giving you that much power early on. Yeah, after Legend of Arceus, I don't want to see one of those things anymore. <laughs> I love Paris still. I just imagine them doing like that one screen, that ree scream every time they chase after me. Like, no, get away from me. I, just, I, I give Paris the uh, the uh, the stabbing robot voice from Futurama. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. Roberto. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, that's that's the oh, voice no, I it's... give Paris. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, we're going to go. We're going to talk about a desert. This is where we're going to give po new Pokemon snap some of its some love, Lucas. The Sweltering Sands was one of my favorite areas to go through in that game, which was the, the desert area. One of the things that, that uh, with all the extreme weather conditions that can happen in the desert, cold, hot, the creatures there need to be able to function, have, usually have some kind of burrowing function. They have to escape those extreme oppressive weathers. And so they dig under the sand until they get to the less hot, uh, the less like scorching hot sands. And so, you know, when you are riding through on the, on your little vehicle. You see uh, Skaroopies kind of digging around the sand. Trapinch, Don's favorite antlion, popping in and up out of the sand. There's a lot of those kind of burrowing creatures that you see pop up. But the other aspects that are in terms of plant life for the, for the deserts, Cacnea makes an appearance here. And obviously cactuses are synonymous with deserts for a lot of people. So cactuses are able to thrive in deserts because they have deep roots, which let them sort of absorb water from all from ways, ways down. 
and they have a waxy layer on their stems that helps them retain water because in the desert, the name of the game is finding and keeping water. Uh, and the spines on their limbs are really are, are there to help reduce airflow, which helps reduce the evaporation of the water as they sort of exist in those extreme environments. I don't know if the spines help Cacnea roll down the sand dunes, though, even though it looked like it was having a wonderful time. So for me, I only have one biome I really want to talk about, and that's the the Hoenn region and its ocean floor, because as far as I'm concerned, it makes no sense. Wait, None at all. It, uh, wait, the Hoenn's open floor plan? Like open sea floor plan. Oh, got it. The sea, yeah, the yeah, sea floor. Sea, yes. For a minute, floor. I thought we were talking about like kitchen layouts. There's really good flow in Hoenn as you move from the entryway <laughs> into the kitchen. I love to have a nice little nook. <laughs> I need a breakfast nook. Don't like to eat the uh, dining room table. With 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 uh, marbled tile? Oh, I'm granite. I'm a granite guy. I like to be able to use my counter as a cutting board. Uh, before, <laughs> that's before terrible we... for your oh. knife. Don't do that. <laughs> I only... That's for the cheap Walmart knives, not my Japanese knife. I don't care what happens to those you knives. get a wooden counter. <laughs> then the world is your cutting board. <laughs> <laughs> advice from Don. The world is your cutting board. Don't, no, don't actually, do don't, not follow don't that advice. On, uh, don't cut on metal or rock because it's bad for your knife. It's really and, bad for your knife. Don't do it. In any case, uh, so honestly, the reason it confuses me is that it is implied that you are in the deep ocean. It is implied because of all the Pokemon you can catch down there are deep water. You have, but your I lantern. thought I thought we we just said that like most ocean life are with along the coast right they are on the coast you tend to go a little bit further out from it but yeah you're still pretty close to a lot of the islands and stuff but i don't know still... but like how deep can it be though like there's light right yeah which means that i don't know no i always reason... thought like it was like scuba depth because it's like it's not like pitch black down there but if it has light then why does lantern need its little bobbly because we've discussed how awful Lantern is a million times. Maybe the caves are super deep back and they like they inhabit the caves. I think what could make it a little I mean for me. Or maybe they're living in the crevices and they just attack the child when they see easy prey. Because <laughs> every now and then like there's cause there's those abysses, right? So because in real life fish will lurk on the lower part of ledges to surprise prey. So maybe like the lanterns with their superhuman Pokemon abilities lurk like way deeper down those ledges but they still sense prey and then they zap up there but bam it's a trainer and now they're fighting ah i see what you're i see you for me it threw me off because of how the plant life grows uh sea grasses only grow nine feet or up they need sunlight and they need a lot of it kelp can go down to 130 feet so it's more likely that you're running through kelp instead of tall grass but it still doesn't explain why all these pokemon are deep water or why if it's in shallow water why did these goons need a submarine to get down there when anyone can just take their pokemon and go down especially because maybe they don't know how to swim lucas like they have know lots of science equipment, maybe. So, you know, they already have their lab. They can just bring their whole lab. They, have to they literally just showed up with an orb. Also, like, yeah, like, do you really want to, like, I don't know, like, it seems easier to have a submarine and transport your whole crew than to be like, everyone just meet me there. You ever tried to have, like, 14 people meet at the same place? It never works. What if the orb gets wet and does something bad, so you have to keep the orb dry? And it's also I'm... not easier to get a submarine than it is to get a Lapras or something that can Yeah, die. like, literally, when you're going down there, it's like, quick, we need, to try, we need to make sure the cops don't catch on until it's too late. Let's steal a submarine, a new one, with a crowd around it. 
Dude, none of them wanted to fight those creepy twins. I don't blame them. <sighs> I, I mean, Team Aqua again would have been able to handle them. Uh, Team Magma, um, yeah, not so much. Not with Levitate. Wait, what creepy twins are we talking about? The, the hey, gym leader Lisa, twins. The oh, oh yeah, the, the two that I forget exist all the time. Fun fact, in the earliest days of competitive Pokemon, you would have to, unless you had like an action replay, you would have to play through that game to that point every time you want to call mine TM. That's, Which that's you wanted a lot. <laughs> uh, I think personally, if if I were to make an adjustment, I would make it so that way the seafloor didn't have any grass. Like it was, it worked like a cave, like a cave in Pokemon does. And you just had to use a flash to just look around. That, that's how I would do it. You could still, but I, I like the grass because it makes you think of like those large, aren't aren't they like sea grasses or like, and no kelp, like kelp, kelp stuff. Kelp. Okay, so what's the difference? Uh, kelp is not a plant. Uh, it's a macroalgae. Yeah. Wait, what? Kelp is a type of algae, a macroalgae, like Don said. So it's a big piece of algae. But aren't those like some of those? Some of those are like forty feet tall. Yeah, it's more than that even. Yeah, forty meters. The deepest ones go down 40 meters. They attach. It's because they, they, are like, they don't have roots. They have hold fast. So they just like glom themselves onto rocks. Meanwhile, really? the plants need yeah. root systems. So that's the difference between seagrass and kelp. Yeah. So, okay. But regardless, it's not like the game comes out and says like, you're in the seagrass. Like, I don't know. It no, Lucas is just really, really intense about this grass. <laughs> that might not be grass. Yeah, like, I, I still I'm, think what if it's what if it's deep ocean anemones and corals because they're typically much darker in color, and just because of like the lighting limitations, they seem kind of greenish. Or because of graphic graphic limitations when the game came out. I'm just feeling like some man in Japan is like yelling at us of like, what if hey, they're two? I worms, worked hard, Lucas. dang it. <laughs> what if they're two worms? <laughs> oh, ew. What, ew. If you're, what if you're cruising through two worms at like 10,000 feet? Shut up, Don. Oh, God. It's like, boy, boy, Magikarp, this grass feels weird. Oh, God, that's not grass. Oh, God, it's not grass. <laughs> and then the relicant comes out and just like, please take me with you. But that's you. like why I always thought it was like shallower because of the things that are there. I mean, well, the things that are there are all deep water. And the fact that you're swimming with a Pokemon. Pokemon go deep. Yeah, but if you go a certain depth, you would die. Pokemon doesn't have the bends. Uh, the deepest free dive is about 400 feet. So Yeah, that's, that's using a weight. That's a whole thing, though. Yeah, that's, that's a not whole a thing level. you're repeatedly doing. That's the no limits diving. They use a weight, I think, as well. Wait, maybe not. That might be. That might not be. It was a free swim, I believe, like 400 feet. Yeah, the, the, the no limits is deeper, I think. Yeah. In any case, I think it's weird. The no limit record is 702. Jesus. Yeah, so we, yeah, that kid could do it. He's fine. He's 10. Throw him in there. Strap him to a fish. Drop him in there. He'll be fine. Gyarados will take care of him. Welcome to parenting with Lucas. Yeah. Just strap him to the Gyarados and send him to the bottom. So remind me to never let Lucas babysit. That is a strong choice. That is a good choice. Well done. <laughs> in any case, I really do hope that Pokemon puts in new biomes and Scarlet and Violet. I'll be honest, the Iberian Peninsula, not exactly diverse. But from the trailer, we saw that. Oh, there's going cool to... stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's forest. 
I mean, we're going to get a desert. We're going to get grasslands. We're going to get forests. I'm hoping we get something a little more interesting coast-wise. There's some cool mountains and stuff. I, I think like some cliffside, cliffside coastal. I was thinking that cool. cliffside stuff would be really cool to we see. Got the, we got the Alps. Oh, I would love to see like an albatross wind gull that lives off on the cliffs and just jumps off of them all the time. That would be cool. I'd just be happy with like a robust. Uh, there's some really cool uh, fish and stuff around there, too. We could finally have a tuna Pokemon or a cod. Oh yes, we could have a deep water. Like we can, I would like to go back to deep water again. Or like if we could see if we had an intertidal zone, like a true intertidal zone, when you're jumping across, that would be a great biome to explore. Ah, oh, so much that can be done. In any case, there's so much that can be done, and Pokemon does put some effort into it. But I love the fact that I can get and sit here and talk with everyone about just how how cool and how diverse an environment is. We don't get a chance to really express. We, we kind of take it for granted just how diverse it is. And I love it. I, I love this world. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's head to the wrap up. All right, Lucas, how did it feel your first show back in the States? We're sending him back to Japan. No, please. No, I'll be good. Please. I'll be good. I'll stay here. And honestly, it, it feels great. While I was recording, again, I have an infestation problem in my house, so I've been watching like some cockroaches skitter around. So this is a great Ew. distraction. Yeah, they're fumigating on Friday. You should get like an airsoft gun. <laughs> no, I have chemical booby traps, and watching them consume poison has been my TV. Or we just get we just get you a cat. I mean, a cat would definitely help. But are I you still think geckos were a more practical idea. Yes, the geckos could work, but I do not have geckos, and it's slightly colder here. The point is, it's good to be back. It's good to be with you guys on the same coastline again, and I will be back for more and more episodes. Thank you guys so much for keeping things going while I was gone. It means the world to me. So you guys need to make announcements here, but uh, <clears throat> we're presenting at a convention this month, April. Lila and I are at Cleveland Fan Expo. That's oh, right. Yes. So we're adding a bunch of new stuff. She's really excited. Oh, you're going to want to show up because watching my eight-year-old steal microphone from me is, is pretty great. Uh, I would the aquarium. pay money, not for the convention, but just to watch an hour of that. Literally just watching you trying to I mean, if you, you guys like, want to, if you guys want to rolling, send messages to Kevin, I'm sure Kevin will videotape it for you. Fan messages and then it's just, no, mommy, you're doing it wrong. Give me that. Oh, that's, that's going to be it. Oh, for sure. It's going to be, mom, you're wrong. Let me talk. Oh my goodness. Well, hopefully you guys can go out and listen to her. If you can't, we'll be doing more conventions. Yeah, we're going to be uh, at least at least Chris and Don will be at Colossal. Yes, and I have talked to Dragon Con. There's a good chance I'll be going to that one too. I had to talk with one of them. There's a pretty good chance we'll be presenting there as well. I'm so excited. In any case, thank you guys so much for listening. Please share it with a friend. Let people know about us. Thank you guys so much. Um, we'll see you guys again in the next episode. Bye, everybody.